So imagine many of you like myself just arrived here quite recently, maybe last night or this morning, so you might take a a while to even you know feel settled where you are. That's quite <coughs> normal. <coughs> Remember, we're not going to work. We're not just, uh, you know, jumping on a bus and going to work. We're actually uh, following the way of nature, dumber as nature. Which is a little, sometimes a little more mysterious. Requires sensitivity as well as uh, um, trust, as well as application. Some of the applications we make just to make ourselves more thoroughly sensitive and not just following our ideas, wishes, things we think we should be or ought to be, even good ideas, let alone the bad ones. (laughs) This is a direct experience. You don't, you don't get it in a book. The books are useful. They give you some of the themes, reference points. <coughs> it's rather like planting a tree. You know, you can know all about trees and uh, tree stakes and climate, but that still doesn't cause a tree to grow. You have to put it in the soil and give it time. And, uh, that's an organic process, natural process. <coughs> There's no point getting, you know, hasty about it, <laughs> or you know, because it's just not going to grow any faster than it does. Most of our practice is just putting aside damaging influences, destructive influences, uh, so that the tree will grow. And this uh, Dhamma is uh, in some ways very uh, direct, very straight, but in some ways it's rather strange because probably this is not the way we normally operate. You know, we operate according to schedules and days and weekends and hours and work, school, education, which is regular. Every day you do this, every day you do that. It's eight o'clock, it's nine o'clock, um, time to go this, to get on with it. And to die ideally to do it as quick as possible, effectively. And uh, though this has many good um, intentions in it, it's not exactly the way that you meditate. (coughs) Which is a balance of both application and receptivity. If you're not receptive, you don't really, really sense deeply where the strength or the uh, enlightenment factors are coming from. You don't really sense where the uh, 
disturbances are coming from. And you don't really get the sense of, you know, how to calm. You get the idea of wanting to be calm, <laughs> but you don't necessarily know how that happens. Uh, other than just through trying to hold things down. Mm. And you can't create faith, it has to arise. And you can't really create aspiration that has to arise. You put yourself in a context that, well, that's going to happen. And you put aside doubt, worry, uh, stress, agitation, uh, aversion, irritation, irritability. Uh, uh, That's the the atmosphere that we practice in is the atmosphere of metta, of kindness, of sympathy, or even more basic than kindness, a quality called anukampa, which is the, the quality that the Buddha uh, based his teaching on. He taught the Dhamma out of anukampa, out of sympathy, empathy, and so everything arises from that. And naturally, the Buddha didn't teach through books, but taught by seeing people, talking to them, sometimes answering their questions. So essentially, establishing a kind of a relationship where a person would notice, be interested, move forward, check things out ask, sense what's going on, the Buddha would sort of sense sensing, you know, what's happening and what's appropriate, where is the suffering, where is the stress in your lives. So of course the Buddha taught many different skills and approaches, not just meditation, but recollection, restraint, uh, family relationships, appropriate livelihood. Uh, depending on what the person needed at that time. <coughs> more succinct, more succinctly dependent on where the suffering was. This is all, everything comes down to that. Where is the dukkha uh, that you can recognize for yourself, in yourself? Uh, And how does that get released? Some of it is worry, doubt, uh, and particularly in this day and age, stress, just pressure, stress. Obviously, I don't know you all individually, so this may not be appropriate for all of you, but my um, sense of uh, lay life in general is is a considerable amount of potential for stress because it's so much associated with with making a living. 
of making a living. <laughs> you know, it's not like, uh, you know, looking after a paddy field of rice, where, you know, you just watch the rice grow and get the buffalo out and, you know, keep the crows off it. There we are. <laughs> uh, something like that. It's generally, you know, high pressure. Traffic, cars, pressure, pressure, pressure. Uh, trying to get things done. Can be, of course, quite enjoyable. Um, not necessarily uncomfortable. It can be quite fun. But still, one is operating at a level which is... Uh, not really the way of meditation, which is quieter, more sensitive, receptive. Not just what we do, but the atmosphere in which we cultivate. The atmosphere of sympathy, goodwill. Not just towards others, but towards oneself. Emphatically, towards oneself. <coughs> So there's no point just driving it, driving it, driving it, driving it until you've actually got to know and feel a sense of sympathy towards oneself. What self? I mean chitta, heart-mind, embodied mind. Not, in, not the intellect, but something perhaps more closely associated with feeling. Um, Feeling pleasure pain, feeling mental pleasure pain, feeling welcome, feeling unwelcome, feeling happy, feeling sad, feeling that we are uh, welcome, comfortable, relaxed, or not, feeling tense, feeling enthusiastic. This is a very broad way of using the word feeling. It's not just Vedana, it's another quality called Sanya, which is general mood, impression. Yeah? And another quality called Sankara, which is to do with the very um, ways in which our mind is operating. And sankara is to do with uh, energies that we bring forth. So, for example, having to get something done, having to get something done, that's sankara. It means there's some, what's that? This is a mental impression. It has some truth in it, of course. Feel the energy having to get something done. And that is conditioned. It's conditioned by work, get it done as quickly, as possible, you know, do a good job, so on. Sankara, conditioned, conditioned energy, conditioned intentions, conditioned volition. How we operate is Sankara. How we operate. Mm. How we operate. And you can feel that uh, quality, you'll be sensitive to it. 
and how we operate becomes a reflection on how we value ourselves, how we feel sense of value, worth self-worth. So if we don't seem to operate very well, we don't get the good results, the impression is, well, I didn't not really good at this, can't do it, not a very effective person. Which of course may be a little bit disappointing if you're doing uh, a job. You know, you're not a great computer programmer or a driver or a dentist. That's not great news. But when it comes down to meditation, this is a very, very uncomfortable experience. You can't meditate. You're not good enough at that. Um, and then one can get the feeling of helplessness, um, inadequacy, doubt. And these moods arise and that begin to cloud over and oppress the heart. So we struggle to get it right, to do better, understandable. But um, just struggling to get it better doesn't work on its own because there's no metta in it, there's no kindness in it, or it, no sense of um, sensitive to these ideas in our mind, the effect of them. Because meditation is not like um, doing a job. It's not a matter of, takes half an hour, takes 20 minutes, uh, get it done by nine o'clock and go to the next thing. You know, sit until nine, then walk till ten, and then sit until nine, and get it done, get to this sec second day, get to this stage, or ninth day, get to this stage. I haven't got to this stage by the ninth day, then I'm sorry you didn't really make it. So I means you're not very good at this. I mean, something defiled or bad karma or inadequate or, you know. Oh dear. <laughs> so this uh, this uh, work business program, I call it the business model, can be quite uh, a painful sankara. And it is a sankara, it means it's conditioned, it's brought into being, it's imposed. It's not actually natural. It's certainly many of us follow that and we assume that is natural because that's the way the society goes. That's the way the society works. But you realize the society doesn't go to Nibbana. <laughs> In fact it seems to go the opposite direction. Even though you can go very fast with dream intelligence and quite a lot of pressure and urgency and increased performances, but it still doesn't get to Nibbana. It's not even going in anywhere near it. It's not because people aren't putting in the effort. People are often exhausted. But that alone doesn't, <laughs> doesn't do it. <laughs> so this uh, business model tends to make us uh, impatient, uh, willful, um, self-critical, 
comparing ourselves with others, self-critical mind, comparing oneself with others, idealistic, aiming for things somewhere in the future. We can get the lists of them, you know, the alignment factors, the indriyas, samadhi, jhana, and they're all true. It's just how you go there that counts, what will take you there. And it's not just going to be willpower. It's something more than that. I would suggest it's something richer than that, more comfortable than that, happier than that. And we have to recognize this, uh, or at least bear in mind, that the Dhamma proceeds on happiness, gladness, Pomoja. And the gladness that comes from dwelling with skillful mind states, either one's own or that of other people. <laughs> so it's just saying, just the, if my mind states aren't that skillful, still associating with good people, feeling their metta, their kindness. Uh, then, oh yeah, you feel, associating with that, you feel yourself feeling more comfortable. Mm -hmm. Associating with good people. And uh, following the the modes, the behaviors, the uh, attitudes of good people conduct of good people, following it, following it, following it, following it. Mm. It's called the Sangha, it's called the Sawaka Sangha, those who have listened very fully and completely. So the two qualities that we see is uh, supatipano, which means practicing good, thoroughly, completely practicing with the good, good practice, Sawaka Sangha, those who really listen. So you have to be both receptive, take it in, listen, and then engage that which you've heard and pick it up. So but first of all, of course, listening, taking it in. And I think this is much more than just words. <coughs> it's bodily deportment. It's... Uh, tone of calm and goodwill taking it in when your own mind is kind of frantic then you listen and you to people or you stay with people who are steady and calm and welcoming and then you oh, begin to settle down this is nature this is how natural things grow we might say very simply the soil that we plant our Dharma seed in is called uh, virtue and the uh, nourishment, the atmosphere we call metta, kindness, goodwill and then then the 
actual things which cause growth, uh, dhammas, mindfulness, clear attention. Clear attention, yonisomanisikara, means the mind is encouraged to consider, turns things over, examine, this, that, this, that, how's that work, what's happening here, how does this affect me? How does this affect me? And this isn't always the case with the business model. In fact, it's not important, really, with the business model. The important thing is to get the job done, and not really how it affects me. It doesn't really count. So you, you begin to lose that, because it's so fully active and no receptivity, we don't really even ask how things affect us because we just move on to the next thing. <coughs> but this is essential to begin to personally, uh, in yourself, the pachatang, get a sense of what particular dhamma is needed now, what particular piece of the, tra- of the teaching, the training, the transmission is helpful right now. There are many, many qualities that can be spoken of. What one is necessary right now? It might only be for three seconds until something else changes and opens up. What is necessarily helpful right now? We might say what's always helpful right now is to ask what's helpful right now. <laughs> the most important thing is to ask what's the most important thing right now. And to recognize this is going to shift and change. It could be just, well, why don't you sit up straight? Why don't you just open your shoulders? Why don't you take a breath? Yeah, oh yeah, that's better. Uh, why don't I wait, just be silent for a few moments and begin to put things aside. That could be helpful. There's too much clutter in my mind. I need to put aside yesterday, tomorrow, people, job, worries, concerns. I'm going to keep cleaning away. Maybe that's helpful. This process, yoni so manisikara, wisely attending, deeply attending, how does this affect me? How does this sight affect me? How does this sound affect me? How does this presence of this person affect me? And these are not questions we just immediately jump up with a word. We try to feel what happens in our chitta, our sensitive heart. We might feel very gladdened or slightly anxious. You know? You can't always know till you ask. You might feel that being with other people, you feel slightly nervous. You're not used to being with 50 other people who you can't talk to and make friends with. So you feel a little bit nervous. That's not surprising, is it? Well, this is not uh, just a superficial condition. It's something to acknowledge and if you acknowledge that, what's needed? Well, I need to cultivate quality of goodwill. 
towards myself and towards them. Uh, and also, learn to relax in my body. This nervousness makes me slightly tense, jittery, cramped. This is not good. I need to learn to ah, take a few deep breaths, breathe out. And don't think about it too much. Don't think about what you should be, what you think other people are doing, what you think they think about you. Maybe this is necessary, just to quit, cut the thinking mind. So you see, yeah, this is always, these are always themes that are important, aren't they? That we recognize how the mind runs out into frantic scenarios and ideas and patterns and notions and self-impressions and self-judgments and you know, just, just, just stop. Right. Is it possible to stop it at all? Uh, so what's necessary? Well, if I feel my body more fully, it's like I put the body, the presence of the body, so as it more or less fills up the space of my, of my heart and my chitta. So, you know, it's like you've got a, a monkey who's busy playing with the, all kinds of things he shouldn't be playing with, you know, running around the house making damage, you know, throwing the clock on the floor, fiddling with the television, you know, chewing the curtains, doing all kinds of mischief. What you do is you get a banana and say, here, monkey, have a banana. And the monkey drops other things and gets hold of the banana. <laughs> Similarly with your thinking mind, it's running around tomorrow, yesterday, five days, six days, can I manage it? What was I supposed to do when I meditated? Am I supposed to be this or that? Should I, which particular position, should I, which system? Here, have a bit of foot, have a breath. <laughs> Just put that in its mouth. <laughs> <laughs> do it again because the monkey is very obsessive you just keep putting something you can get into his hand or his mouth and it can't do that anymore for that moment maybe that's what's necessary maybe it's necessary just to stroke the monkey it's okay it's okay yeah we know yes 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 everybody gets excited yes 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 that's natural we all get agitated, we're all kind of speedy, let's just stroke the monkey. It's okay, it's okay, you're welcome. You shouldn't be waving a stick at a monkey, doesn't make it any calmer. Generally makes it more aggressive. <coughs> so this quality, Yoni Somani Sikara, is one of our constant inputs. With a sense of if we remove the unskillful and keep dropping in the skillful, that that seed is going to grow. Now the, the seed or the tree will grow in accordance with the nature of trees. The chitta will grow in accordance with the nature of chitta. What is you know, so we begin to just consider that, and you become mindful. Mindful means you're aware 
you begin to get more aware of how your mind operates, how your citta operates, how your heart operates. And you recognize it's not something that just follows orders. <clears throat> Though we may as people, we will definitely follow instructions, traffic lights, signs and signals. When you're coming to the heart, you can't say to it, okay, time to be happy, okay, time to calm down, okay, time to generate some goodwill, okay, it's time to, it doesn't do it like that. You have to hold it carefully, that's mindfulness, generally keep away, protect it from the hindrances, bring in that seed, that medicine, that food that we've begun to sense from our deep attention. So you deep attention, you're beginning to check what's, what's appropriate now, what kind of theme, what feeling, what quality, what attitude even attitude of mind is helpful. Mindfulness, you hold that quite firmly around your mind, like a, something like a couple of hands that hold the mind carefully. And you stay with that, see the effect. Oh yes, now if I linger with that, make much of that, all these suddenly, you know, I, I begin to see this turbulence or these impressions come up and I just keep staying with it until those impressions pass away. <coughs> it's quite a testing process. This is where we, this is really the, the area we call meditation. You know, the heart of it is holding the mind in the presence of skillful dhammas. And you may think, oh, that should do it, that should fix it. Um, but again, it, it's true, and yet not quite in accordance with the way you'd assume it to be. Because uh, when you do hold the mind in the presence of unskillful dhammas, what happens, rather like uh, taking some medicines all the toxins come out. <laughs> all the anxiety, all the toxins come out. It's not a suppressive medicine. It's more like a homeopathic medicine. You hold it like that and then all these qualities that have been sort of embedded in, the, in your heart mind begin to rise to the surface. That's the way in which you can clear them. So the, the some ill will comes to the surface, uh, craving, sense desire comes to the surface, um, you know, negativities of various kinds come to the surface. You think, oh, this is going wrong. No, no, it's good, good, keep going. No, it's going wrong. No, keep going, just keep going, you're doing fine. But it shouldn't be like this, but it is like this. <laughs> so you begin to change your attitude. It's more like acceptance. It doesn't mean you want to have this happening forever or this is exactly what you want to stay for the rest of your life. It means you're coming down to direct experience 
and some of the dukkha that's been embedded and become locked in, into your mind is starting to unravel and break out and these sometimes rather difficult emotions, difficult energy states, you feel very tired oh, or the opposite, you can't sleep, you're just really jangled because all this stress is coming out of your system. It's rather like a detox. You know? And if you've ever had a detox, you go to some place and they torture you for a week. <laughs> you have to, can't eat normal food, you can't eat all the food you like, all the nice things you like to eat. You, you, you've got to eat some like kind of stewed weeds or something <laughs> and drink horrible herbs. Yeah. Then after about, oh yeah, I feel sick, I feel confused, I feel... Then after about three or four days, oh, feeling clean, feeling bright. Oh, oh, yeah, this is, this is, I didn't realize it was this. This beautiful purity begins to be revealed because we've been through the process of this clearing of these defiled states, these uh, embedded defilements have been clear, clear, cleared. Uh, and you feel there's a kind of brightness and beauty there that I didn't do. I didn't make it. I revealed it. I kind of, what I did was support a process of clearing defilements. That's all I did. Just supported a process of clearing defilements. And this other quality arose by itself. In fact, it, perhaps it was always there. Just primarily, it would just been obscured. Obscured. And this is a cru crucial understanding in Buddha Dhamma. Avijja, ignorance, obscured. It's not fundamentally wrong. Nobody's fundamentally wrong, but the jitta is obscured, clouded over, uh, not seen clearly. His purity buried under this crust of accumulated, uh, defiled states, confused states, wrong assumptions, habits. Not just your own, but those of the society in which one dwells. And you can see the society is not pure, not free from corruption, not, <laughs> not free from ill will. Have you noticed that? <laughs> not free from greed. Have you noticed that? Not going to Nibbana. Have you noticed that? And you notice how, you know, just being in it and following in it, then you pick up those particular ways and habits that support it. Even if you don't act upon it yourself, you're, just, you're still sitting in the, you know, in, the, in the dirty water of a confused society. So it just gets under your skin. Uh, this is the nature of chitta. It's very porous. It's very sensitive and susceptible. 
So we take, we absorb all these uh, unfortunate traits and habits. In fact, we have to to get on in the society, in the social means. It doesn't mean there aren't good people individually. There can be some very fine people individually. I'm not criticizing that, but I'm saying the structure of the contemporary society is not directed to enlightenment. I don't think this is news, is it? (laughs) But do you realize the implications of that? When most of your life you're training, you're being trained and shaped by something that's going (laughs) against the Dhamma. And it becomes so entrained that you start to operate according to those um, criteria and attitudes and energies and then you come to a meditation retreat uh, it's quiet where's the what did, what what what, what, what you know, start, mind starts spinning so with mindfulness we are really taking uh, one of our these dhamma themes there are many, but uh, very simply speaking, the qualities that are associated with um, warmth and goodwill, faith, with that which you can just receive uplifts. So in this general topic, we reflect upon the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, wise friends, companions, um, people who have helped us, People we admire, their qualities, you know, you take it in. And don't think, I can't be like that. (laughs) Don't think that. Just notice the qualities and how they affect the heart. Don't have to have a personal attitude with it. And that's your... And then, as you feel that, taking that in, steadying it, Unifying the mind in that, the mind, you can tell with it works, was if the mind settles a little, stabilizes a little, that's the good medicine. And steady, begin to stabilize, you come through the disturbances and it gets a little bit steadier. And you notice one... Uh, <coughs> continual ongoing uh, hallmark or characteristic of the sankharas, of these conditioned energies, these conditioned forces, is they generally come with the voice, I. I am. I am. I'm not. I should. I couldn't. I ought. I'm not as. I will. I won't. I don't see how. And you don't notice this insidious little word, I, I am, I am. Yeah. That's that particular, when you hear that sound, and it uses your voice, so it's very convincing. It uses your, it's like a ventriloquist. It uses your voice. And this is the sound of ignorance, what it sounds like.
and it takes you to samsara. It takes you that way, to samsara, to the endless going on of birth and death. I am, I'm not, when will I be, I can't be, I'm not as, I should be. It takes you that way. Because, what are you talking about? What's being referred to is this I am. How does that happen? And if you study it more clearly, and you just consider what I'm saying, what occurs is a, a mental state arises and then there's a grasp of it. The grasp is the I am. The grasping, the holding, that momentary experience, this is the I am. Say there's confusion arising, I am confused. There's irritation arising, I am irritated. And then I am irritated and then I shouldn't be irritated. And then what do I do to stop being irritated? And then so on. And this is the Sankara process. Now, I mean, I'm not, crit- not sort of criticizing that at all. Just, just investigate that. And how busy you get. How busy your mind gets doing that. And trying to figure out the ways in which I could stop, change it, be, make it be another way and probably come up with the conclusion that I can't do this. I don't know how, how long does it take me to do this? Now, is there any release from suffering in that? <coughs> I'm talking about direct experience. Direct experience, not interpreted experience direct experience. Now the difference is the interpreted experience means certainly I can look around, I can see those like about 50 or 60 people here. That's quite a good interpretation when I see these shapes in front of me. <laughs> I can think, well I must probably in Malaysia, it's a reasonable experience, look at the words, it looks like Malaysian Language, you know, yeah, she got on a plane, okay, or that's, that's interpreted. When I flew through the sky, there wasn't a bit of the sky called Thailand and a bit of the sky called Malaysia, and the sky changed. It just, it, it was no change. It just, there was no boundary. There was no border there. But they've created a border there. So now we, interpretation, actually, we just, if you could say, we just, where are we? Directly, we're in the quality of feeling. We're in the quality of form. There's forms, we can, so there's a quality of consciousness, seeing forms. Mm. Different from hearing, different touching. If I just relied on my what my fingertips tell me, I wouldn't be able to detect anybody else in this room. It's only my eyes <laughs> that tell me there are other people here. 
So that's dependent upon visual consciousness, isn't it? The visual consciousness arises and then the mind says, oh, that's what those little shapes mean, human beings. My fingers say, I don't know what you're talking about. There's nobody here. (laughs) So dependent on consciousness is the arising of form. And dependent upon the way our mind interprets those forms, there are people. That's all constructed. And there's tomorrow. That's constructed. Because where's tomorrow? I can't see any tomorrows. Can't feel them. Can't hear them. Can't smell them. What's a tomorrow? There's yesterday. What's that? Series of memories direct experience. There's no tomorrow, there's no yesterday. There's just memories, anticipations, emotions moving and changing. That's so that the world of the constructed tomorrow, yesterday, people, countries, time, dates, that's the world that our mentality constructs, which it's a working model and we can operate with that. But direct experience is the only way to Nibbana. Not constructed experience, not imagined experience, not conceived of experience, not interpreted experience, but only through direct experience. Because in direct experience it's simple, well simpler, there's feeling. There's volition. In other words, there's some kind of response to the feeling. There's interpretation, sanya. There's forms. And this, just holding it like that, you, you don't add all the complexities that, of the conceivable. And the and the ongoing creations of them, the mind simplifies. So if we're mindful, then we hold the mind and instead of conceiving, I'm this, I'm not that. Instead of conceiving, I could be this, but I won't. Instead of conceiving, how long can I do this for? I don't know if I can manage it. Instead of conceiving, well, she's doing a lot better than I am. Instead of conceiving, everybody else is like this and I'm not. Instead of conceiving, (laughs) I'm like this, why isn't everybody else the same as me? Instead of conceiving, I'm getting it right and they're getting it wrong. Or conceiving, I'm getting it wrong and they're getting it right. Or conceiving, he's getting it right and she's getting it wrong. (laughs) Or conceiving, (laughs) this is the right way and this is the wrong way. Or conceiving, (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing. Become feeling agitated. <laughs> Direct experience what's needed. And there's a way out of the conceiving. And it's in this body. This body doesn't conceive anything. <coughs> this body doesn't conceive anything. That isn't what it does. It feels. It responds. It gets sick, it gets excited, it gets sleepy, but it doesn't conceive anything, it doesn't imagine anything in itself. So you come into this mindfulness of body, and just that 
you step outside of the conceiving imagined experience into the direct one. This is a big shift. But this, this and the purification, the steadying of this is the pathway to samadhi, to deep collectedness and to understanding, to discernment. All this conceiving of myself and others, this is suffering. (laughs) I didn't know that because most of my life has been about conceiving myself and others. Conceiving of what I should be, could be, ought to be by the time I'm 20, whether I should be married or not, whether I should get a career or not. All our life has been about conceiving of what we should be, could be, what others are, uh, what our prospects are, what the future could be, what it won't be unless we do this. What future? Imagined, isn't it? That's the world we've operated within. It works, but it doesn't go to Nibbana. Nibbana is the unconceived, non-conceiving, the mind stopping that, coming out of that habit, resting from that. Nibbana, the unbinding of these bonds that grip and push and form us and shape us and direct our lives. The unbinding of that. Wow, how do I do that? I can't figure out how to do it. No, you can't figure out how to do it. (laughs) Because it's not figurable. (laughs) But what you can recognize is this is stress. This is the stress that something in me is creating through the I am. So it just kind of makes it kind of simple. You look out for that I am and just check whether that's creating stress. I am wrong. That's definitely stressful. I'm not as good as that's definitely stressful. I should be stressful. Those are the obvious ones, aren't they? I will never be. That's very stressful. Another kind of stress is, I'm right. They're wrong. They're stressful. (laughs) These are the ones we don't necessarily see. I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. We get a little bit harder and more opinionated. I'm feeling good because I'm right. We don't see that stressful. We don't see it until you realize just how conceited arrogant and obstinate you're getting. (laughs) Oh, oh, that's suffering. The suffering of being right. Then you're comparing yourself with others. That's suffering, stress, division, conflict, superior, inferior, better, worse. That's suffering. You don't want to be better and worse. You want to get out of that because those better and worse are constructions. It's no better to be, you know, 
one meter twenty than one meter thirty. It's just different. It's just the way you conceive it. And you realize, well, uh, you can't exactly compare it because everybody's in their own kamma, their own inheritance, their own mental, psychological, emotional, karmic, mental inheritance. And nobody else is exactly the same as that. We all have our different conditioning factors. We're all exactly where we are in this. With our things that bother us and gladness and the things we've cultivated and things we've ignored. Everybody's in this. Everybody's got their little bit of damage and pain and hurt. Everybody has their qualities of virtue and skill and strength. And nobody's the same as anybody else. So you can't say better than or worse than or even the same as. Because that's a construction. Direct experience, you just sense this. And I'm getting this sense of judging others or judging myself. Suffering. You can do that. You can notice that. And you can feel when you come into your mind, it's getting like this. This is not meta. This is not the right atmosphere. I'm not really noticing what this is doing to me, how it's making me more hard or agitated or fault-finding or miserable. This is not correct practice. You can know that. You can refer to that. And what is direct practice? Acceptance. This is the beginning of metta. No judgment, no punishment, no blame. Cultivate it until the I am stops. <coughs> Cultivate it until the I am stops. It's just acceptance of agitated mind. Though I am agitated, acceptance of agitated mind, acceptance of stressful mind, acceptance of happy mind. Acceptance doesn't mean I claim it, I own it, I want to be it, I'm going to keep it going. It just means I touch it as it is. Uh, I investigate this investigation factor, hmm. reference. And the more you cultivate that, you'll begin to notice just by doing that, strangely enough, by holding it, sustaining it, and referring it to your body, to your breathing, it begins to change of itself. This is this is a pretty remarkable realization. Instead of I am changing things, chitta changes itself. Heart changes itself because heart has intelligence. Yeah, heart has intelligence. It senses imbalance. 
Rather like your body, when you stand up, you feel imbalanced, your body starts to correct it. If you come into your body, you start thinking about how to do it, you fall over. <laughs> when you walk, your body gets up and walks. If you try to think about it, you probably wouldn't make a single step because it's too frightening. The idea of standing on one foot, swing, you know, it's just scary. Body does it. So if you're bringing your heart into the, into the body and holding it with that quality of just acceptance, investigation, not spinning out into I am, or if you are going out to the I am, sensing, wait a minute, what's the direct feeling here? This is agitation. This is busy mind. This is forceful mind. This is dull mind. How is that in the body? How is that whole body? <clears throat> How is that down to the floor? How is that in the space around me? Just unfolding the entirety of your body, breathing in, breathing out, feeling it more fully. It begins to discharge the energy of the hindrance or defilement begins to just drain like a detox you're just coming out like you're emptying it out emptying it out emptying it out then you feel clean I don't know how that happened how did I do that? I want to do that again I've got to do it again I've got to do more oh, oh, careful careful did you hear that voice? Did you hear that voice? I did it last year. I had a great retreat. I did it last year. I want to do it. Did you hear the voice? Did, don't, listen, don't listen to who's saying it. It's the good idea is good, but listen to the I am that's saying it. Yeah. That's, a, that's a conceit. That's a construction. Even though the message may be important, useful, the voice is ignorance. Is it possible to trust that if we come always into the here and now, all our accumulated knowledge, you know, the chitta won't forget what it really needs any more than once you've learned how to walk. You don't have to try again every day to learn it. You've got it. Your body's got it. You didn't always know how to do it, but when you got up there, finally at the age of whatever it was, two, it's there. Same thing with jitta. If you bring it back to this, it will know. It will remember. It will sense. It will find balance. Its nature essentially is balanced. It's warm. It's sympathetic. Yeah, it's kindly. It's discerning. It seeks harmony. And we need to return to that and support it with mindfulness, with holding it steady and never losing faith in it. An investigation. Are you holding it carefully? And faith, trust it. And perseverance, stay with it. And all this defilements kind of get thrown up. Very disappointing sometimes. 
fascinating sometimes, <laughs> convincing a lot of the time, and all of them with the I am written on them. Just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. The empty. So one is empty of I am, empty of conceiving, empty of the future, empty of the past, empty of the present. Sounds weird, doesn't it? Well, in normal language, it is very weird. But remember, the language you use is also generated not really for Nibbana, which is difficult to put in words. Hmm? The suffering and non-suffering, I am, these are things you can know directly. And these are your uh, guides, you could say, as you begin to cultivate the guides. Pause, stop, wait, what's really needed now? Not from your idea of what's needed, what does your chitta need? Deep breath, perhaps, sigh, perhaps. Brightening up, perhaps. Rising up, straightening yourself, clearing yourself, giving yourself some where does acceptance, reference, and so this is the way you cultivate um, <clears throat> to the end of suffering. The suffering doesn't all end in one shot all of it gone, but we begin to sense particular uh, configurations of suffering, configurations of stress, and these are called the sangyojana, the fetters, which we'll talk about another time. But it does mean, but essentially, for the most people, one of the primary configurations of dukkha always carries this very strong personal element to it. This is the stream enterer's work. The one who gets past the first three fetters is to really understand this I am voice. I will be voice. I've got to be voice to understand that and get out of the grip of that. And if we do this, we really have a very jitter, we'll have a very good foothold on Dhamma and on the path to Nibbana. So, thank you for your attention.